You wouldn't be shocked if I said that words have power. But when it comes to your website, it's incredibly important how powerful those words are. My guest this week is Erin Olila. And Erin is a master copywriter and SEO, search engine optimization expert. And in our conversation this week, she goes into a lot of depth around the importance of copywriting the content on your website and optimizing it for search engines. And she also has some thoughts around how you should be adding content or whether you should even be adding content, which is kind of contrary to what a lot of people say. I'm sure you're going to enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Personally Brandtastic podcast, where we help you build your personal brand and business so that people can find you easily, want to work with you, and can't wait to refer you. If you're looking to build your brand and business, reach more people and stand out from the competition, you're in the right place. My name is Paul Copcutt, and every day I work with real estate investors, professionals, business owners, and the occasional former professional athlete who wants to stand out from the crowd and attract more of the right opportunities without feeling inauthentic or spending all day doing it. That's why this show is for you. It's about building your personal brand because marketing is how you get their attention, but personal branding is why they choose you. On the podcast, we look to decode and uncover what makes you personally brandtastic and how you can apply it to your own personal brand and business to attract the right opportunities, right partners, and right clients every time. Thank you for listening, and let's get to work on making you personally brandtastic. Erin, thank you for joining us today. Uh, websites, copywriting, SEO, it's kind of that big unknown, I think, for a lot of people. I think, I think a lot of people listening will probably say, well, yeah, I've got a website, but please don't look at it, or please... Let's not, uh, don't read too much into it or it's still under construction and I might be guilty of that on some of my pages too, but, um, what, when somebody's looking at their website initially, I know that you talk about website audits. What are the sort of things that people should be looking for first and foremost in kind of assessing their website first? Yeah, that's a great place to start. Um, I think if you have a website already, you've already created something and you're at the point where. It's not exactly what you want it to be and you're looking to make improvements. The first thing I would suggest is head to your homepage because, you know, the homepage of your website, I always can like try to relate to a travel itinerary. You know, if you're if you've taken a trip, you've worked with, let's say, a travel agent and you know you want to go to Paris, for example. If you look down on that piece of paper or I guess I should say now digital like your phone. Right. And you're trying to confirm that it's correct. If it said Mexico, it'd be a very clear indicator you were you're you didn't have the right information. So if we take that lens and we look at the homepage of our website, our leads, whether they know us because they've been referred to us, um, we're somewhat in their network, or if they're finding us for the very first time from a Google search, they want to do that self-identification. They want to say, even though it's your website, the leads that are looking at it want to be able to say like the little check mark, yep, I'm here for the right reason. This is the place that I want to be. So an easy, quick audit step is to like review your homepage and say, is it clear enough? Like, am I making my point clear enough? And am I very succinctly saying what this website is about? Um, that's error I find most people make with their websites is 
there is a distinction between copy and content. But in this online business world where we talk about marketing so much, it's often um, those two words are often muddled between each other. Mm-hmm. And I like to remind people that when we, at least for website copy as an example, when we look at our website copy, we want to take the most direct approach to getting our point across. We don't want to spend a lot of time oversharing. Um, people skim, like period. You know, they're going to come to your website. They're going to skim and see what you have to say. So design plays a really key role in um, strategic website copy. That could be another thing that people do when they audit their own website. How skimmable is it? You know, if you find that you have blocks of text throughout the page, then an easy way to adjust that would be to add a heading, a subheading, or even an image, um, an image being a picture or being an icon or something small to just break up those big blocks of text. Because your readers will not read the copy if they're big blocks of text. Um, So definitely look at the homepage, look at and make sure the readability is there. But then whatever you determine is the main point of your website, you know, and what you're showcasing on your homepage, I would then suggest looking at all of those interior pages, whether they're about pages, service pages, product-based pages, anything like that, and say, well, how has the promise that I made on my homepage uh, been filtered down into all of these additional pages? Because we want to make sure that there's consistency without them. Uh, excuse me, throughout them. Because if there's no consistency, it's so much easier for the readers to jump off of the website and not really want to get to know you, your brand better, and you know build that relationship, uh, which could potentially be a working relationship or a client relationship. Right. And, and you mentioned succinct. Is that also, I, I think I've read somewhere or somebody mentioned, being succinct is also positive in terms of SEO and, and what Google interprets. Is that correct? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I, I swear I'm going to get the word it depends like tattooed on my face or something. That's all that I say. And in some ways, I mean, I believe it firmly, but I'm starting to even get annoyed with myself. So the answer, yes, it is because Google wants to know, especially with its newest update for helpful content, it wants to know that what you are creating is all related and it's helpful and it's uh, meant for the end user. So if we have paragraphs upon paragraphs and we're getting long-winded on our site, as an example, Google's like, you know, just like a human would when it's reading that robot text stuff that's happening, Google's like, wait, what? What's happening here? Like, what am I paying attention to this for? Okay, let me just, you know, go do something better with my time, which is a complete exaggeration. I have no clue how, how, how that's all happening. But that's how I like to interpret it, right? So when we are succinct and we stay on one point and we don't overlabor that one point, it's a lot easier for, and it's not just Google, it's all, it's all search engines. It's a lot easier for search engines to scan and say, aha, this page is about this topic. Now, the opposite perspective is, no, being succinct isn't always helpful for Google. Uh, And that is specifically how we can um, separate copy versus content. If you are creating blog posts or case studies or podcast show notes, anything that is longer form content that lives on your website, absolutely take your time to explain it. Um, And the reason I say that is because you are going to stay on the same topic. So let's say, you know, for example, you do podcast show notes about our interview. You're going to talk about things like copy, website pages, SEO, because it's all the same topic that we're discussing. 
if we started to have a conversation about how to make banana bread throughout that, like throughout this conversation, right. it, it would um, it would kind of derail the SEO efforts. But if you would imagine any conversation you'd have with another human about like one particular topic or a college class you attend or anything like that, you have to spend some time explaining it. So, I mean, the answer to your question is both yes and no. On website pages, when we think copy specifically, I say succinct, short, concise, um, and that helps Google recognize what it is. But when we do approach the content of our page, I would actually encourage people to go deeper and, if possible, not because you're trying to force it, but if possible, spend some more time developing your thoughts so that way Google recognizes, whoa, this is like a really valuable piece of content here. Okay, Okay. that makes a ton of sense. Okay. Now, is there the danger, and you mentioned readability, is there the danger that as the expert who's got the website, is there the danger that you're going to end up over-complicating things, using jargon? What, What is the level of readability that a website generally needs to be and I know you're going to say it depends again yeah but... <laughs> I was thank you for saying it for me this time though I really appreciate that Paul um it depends on the industry so you know and it depends on the the brand personality if you think about it you know I have um I've worked with many coaches before just using that as an example and I've had co- coaches that came right out of um, the corporate world being VPs in a fortune 100 and they've decided to take the coaching skills they practice within their organization into a, a, a private practice. Um, for some of those coaches, they've decided they wanted to have more of a buttoned up type of online brand. And in that in, in instance, jargon might work. Um, you know, being a little bit more professional could work. Whereas if you have someone like me, for example, I wouldn't say that I have a wild personal brand, but I tend to be really corny. I like to laugh at my own jokes, say silly things, make funny faces. So for me, I'm not really using too much jargon. I try to break things down, excuse me, break things down to be as easy to understand as possible. Um. (laughs) So for my brand, I tend to try to break things down and make it as easy to understand as possible. So I take a look at how you want to show up online and then make the determination on jargon and all that at that point. Right. Okay. And what are the most important pages that somebody should be focusing on? Uh, What are the ones that they need? You absolutely must have on a website. Great question. Uh, One, the homepage. And, you know, I advocate for... um, a many page websites because for I think it's very rare that people can have a one page website and get across everything that they need. That being said, though, I always tell people like I, I'm a baby step believer. So if you are if you don't have a website, maybe you've had a referral based type of business and, you know, maybe you're or, or even doing things more offline at this point, get that one page website up and roll with it until you can build upon it. Um, so in the instance of a one page website, you want to make sure you introduce your business, uh, what it stands for, who you are, you know, what's your personal brand, maybe what sets you apart, and how to get in touch with you. Now, when we look at a more traditional website, I would absolutely say a homepage, a contact page, an about page, and then depending on the business itself, the, all those additional pages will kind of uh, determine what you use. Um, early on in my own podcast, I did a series on website pages, and there's an episode that I think could be helpful if someone's trying to determine what pages they need. Um, I, 
I will definitely let you know the link because now I'm not remembering okay. we'll which make, episode We'll make sure it it's in the show notes. We'll make sure it's in the show notes. But in that episode, we talk about things like, do you need a speaker page, a media page? You know, maybe if you're doing a lot of podcasts, you would want to have that media page. Or if you have your own podcast, like you, you, know, you and me, Paul, we, I have a podcast page on my site. So, you know, those pages, I wouldn't say that they're helpful. I would say they're mandatory for some businesses, but absolutely home about and contact is mandatory for all websites and so let's uh, let's go with the the person that's just launching a website uh, whether it's one page or three or four what are the once that website is live what are the first few things that they need to be thinking about in terms of both seo and and copywriting yeah, great question. So I would say before it's live, you have to think about the <laughs> SEO and the copywriting. I know okay. what you mean, though. I mean, you know, at, you're assuming that at the point that they launch a website, they've already done the work to make sure they have that foundation of SEO and the copy for, in regard to the message that they want to share. So once that's done and it's launched, the first thing you're going to want to do is to determine what you want to track, um, what your analytics are going to be over time so that you can decide if your um, the efforts you put in previously are successful or they're not. Now, when it comes to, I would say, both SEO as well as copy, you really need to take a long-term tracking approach. SEO is not something that happens overnight. Um, it takes pages a while to be indexed, sometimes three months, six months. And when I, that's just original indexing. Um, so people like to ask me, well, how long will my SEO efforts, like when will I see the return on investment? And that question is, is I think, even past it depends. It's in the, like, the, the no man's land of it depends because it depends on the website traffic that you have. Is there any other SEO work that you've done? What's your niche like? You do have a high competition, a low competition. But I would tell people to start to see some fruits of their labor to wait to about six or nine months. So if we take that time frame, you know, launch day is January 1st, set something in your calendar, maybe late, um, late summer, early fall, where you look at that entire time to say, well, what keywords have I started ranking for? Are these keywords the ones I even want to rank for? Because even though we like to think that we can instruct search engines to do our bidding, Really, they're, it's, they're not. They're doing uh, what they notice and what they're picking up from the text that we share. So sometimes we might have like the fun surprise of getting picked up for keywords we would have never thought of on our own, but people are actually searching for. So you set the time, you start to do the analyzing, you pull in all the research and the data. And then once you have that, it's the decision making time. You know, do I make these changes? How? What kind of changes do I make? implement and then wait again. And I know that that's not a, an answer that people love. They want Everyone wants the immediate gratification of the work that they put in. But I can share a fun little side story about one of my clients years ago. Um, this is probably circa like 2014 or 15. We were meeting, talking. Um, we, we were actually in the discovery phase of working together. And they told me that the reason they finally bought into SEO is they had written a blog post about two and a half years before our conversation, that for two years did zero for that. It, it got no traffic. No one mentioned it. And then at one point in time, something had happened locally. And they weren't necessarily a local type business, but they did do some selling locally. 
And that um, blog post got picked up. So it started to get traffic and it started to skyrocket the tra on, traffic on the internet. Just so happened they were also selling during a, like a launch period at the time. And they made an insane amount of money from the blog post because people read it. They found the value in it. It built, it like nurtured the relationship and the trust between an unknown person and the business. Um, and then, you know, it gave profit to the business. So that was even more exemplified during the pandemic. Um, my favorite way to, to explain this to people is in 2019, no one really cared about sourdough starters or bread baking, right? <laughs> And um, I really need to look up the stat because this is the second time I've said this and I could be so wrong. I'm second guessing myself. But I, I think I remember seeing that there was a 9,000% increase in traffic to terms like sourdough and bread, um, how to bake bread, all these things. Now, imagine being a, a small little company that sells sourdough starters, which is a real thing. I mean, like, it sounds silly if you're not it's, making no, bread, no. but it's a total normal thing. Or imagine if you're a company that had um, a guide on how to do it on your own in your home. And then all of a sudden you got a 9,000% increase in traffic. Like, I would be honest, most people don't want that. That would be very overwhelming for a tiny business. But Depending on what your business is, if it's something like you've created um, a template, a tool, something that you're selling on your site, you don't need to keep touching and you're not products that you need to keep building, that could be life-changing for people. So even though it feels frustrating to have to wait for SEO results, there is a, a possibility that it could completely uh, blindside you on how, how important it is and how helpful it is for your business. You're absolutely right because I know somebody fairly local to me who was doing sourdough starters as just kind of a side thing he and his partner were doing it and then the the pandemic hit and he gave up his full-time job to go make sourdough starters because he was making so much there's so much demand from people yeah and that's him. a really great example that i like to tell people not just from an seo lens but um uh, from how consumers think right so for most people, what they originally wanted was they wanted to know how to make their own sourdough starter. People were at home. It was like a, a trend. And it was something that I think in some ways people are anxious and fearful. So they thought, oh, my gosh, I, you know, the supply chain's down. I'm not going to be able to get bread. Like maybe I'll, this is something I'll do on my own. But then what happens is if anyone knows anything about sourdough starters, boy, are they hard to get started and then keep alive, never mind get started. So people were trying and they were failing and not that there is anything wrong with this, but the easiest thing for consumers to do would be to purchase a pre-made sourdough starter because it's been proven it works. You know, you, you what? If again, if you're not f familiar with starters, that you just take little pieces off of it and keep it alive over time. So it's like the gift that just never stops giving. So I like to like bring that back to a marketing sense too, right? Um, one thing I, I joke about is Chipotle, as an example, shares its um, recipe for its salsas because Chipotle is not worried it's going to go out of business because it's sharing its exact recipe because they know people want convenience. Same thing with the starters. Same thing with any other type of business. Your clients will come to you. So I tell everyone in your marketing, the, the best way to prove yourself is to over deliver because it does not make a difference. You're not sharing secrets. You know, all we are doing in the world is replicating the same stories, the same jobs, the same tips, the same tricks. So if you over deliver and showcase that to your potential clients, you're really going to win them over because the trust is going to be built so easy 
And the confidence in you is going to start an amazing client experience because you're showcasing, you know, what an important professional you are and how helpful you can be. Right. And, and a static website is not enough though, is it? They need to be adding content. So that, that person that starts with a brand new website in January doesn't just leave it there and come back and measure in September. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's work involved between, correct? Yeah, that's a tricky question to answer. If you would have asked me that three years ago, I would have I would have been screaming on the rooftop. Yes, you need to add blog content, like add things to your website. And I feel like I have shifted that slightly since then. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. Yeah, and I, I mean, I'm proud of myself, and also kind of like I feel that like I'm putting a dagger in my heart because I'm like breaking a belief here. But um, I think it's from the type of clients I've worked with personally, which is largely probably your audience here too. Um, we have to think when we create content, like what's the point? There is a insane amount of content in the online world, right? It, it, do a Google search for anything and you're going to find millions of results. So why are we creating the content? And then how is it helping the person that could potentially work with you? So an interior designer, for an example, um, the if you're working with like a larger scale client who wants you to like do your whole house or an expensive renovation, their clients do not want to read a how-to blog post on how to decorate with color because they're not decorating, right? They're hiring the interior designer to do it for it. So then investors, if you're thinking about it, like what type of blog content are you going to create and how will the people that work with you consume it? Will they? You know, some of the coaches, I, I brought that example up before. You know, if you're coming out of the C-suite as a coach and you're targeting other C-suite or senior leaders, they don't have the time to sit down and read a blog post anymore. So, and, and they're not. It's not how they want to consume content. They'll listen to podcasts. They'll watch quick videos and call it a day there. So I think what I'm trying to say, and I'll try, I'll be a little more succinct here, is determine who the um, end user is and if there is value to them. And absolutely, the more content you create, the more opportunity to, to rank. The more um, the beauty of SEO is it's the more entry points to your business. So if you have a five page website with zero content on it, those are five opportunities for people to find you online. But if you publish a blog post even once a month in a year, that's 12 more opportunities. So you're up to 17 opportunities. Now, there are cheats on this. If you have a podcast, you can make show notes on your website and make them valuable enough that you're using the SEO keyword phrases in a natural way. Every time you do a podcast, let's say it's weekly, now here you have 52 pieces of content in a year's time. So add those 52 to the five and you're up to, what, 57 at this point? You know, and, and that just continues so long as you keep producing that content. You have a YouTube show, you could do the same thing. Um, and again, I never want to encourage people to create content just for the fact of creating I think if you can, if you can be consistent and if you can create things that are actually valuable, absolutely encourage you to do so. But if it's not what your audience wants and you don't have the ability or consistency to be able to create content, either one, don't do it. Or if you want some type of extra SEO juice, I would say create what's called pillar content. So maybe you determine the five, the 10, the 12 posts that you're going to have on your site. And they're very specific. They're all strategic. They're aligned with each other. And they're giving your audience, like they're answering the exact questions they have, for an example. Create them once. Let them live on your site. 
you don't have to keep touching them, but maybe when you do that, like, you know, nine month checkup to your SEO, you look at how they're performing and then you make some decisions on, okay, um, this is performing well, but not well enough. Maybe I will, instead of maybe making an SEO change, maybe I'll add content to it. Maybe I'll lengthen it. Um, or if it's performing really poorly and you thought you did a good job, you'll have to look at, well, what did I do wrong here? Maybe the intent is wrong. You know, titles and meta descriptions are what shows up on Google. And if you don't clearly state what to expect from the article, people won't click on it. So all those little tiny things that go into SEO and copywriting that seem so insignificant is really what helps the end user, the reader, the future clients make a decision about if they're even going to bother clicking. And then when they are there and they've gotten to your website, what they'll do once they get there. Right. I, years and years ago, there was um, an article or a guide from a guy called Mike Koenigs. Um, and he recommended, because people are always struggling to come up with content. You know, that's one of the, and I liked your suggestion around, um, you know, the kind of uh, things that, you know, your prospects might be already asking. And his recommendation was uh, 10, 10 questions everybody always asks you. Mm -hmm. He says, there you go. There's 10 pieces of content. It's like an FAQ, but built out into to blog posts. And then 10 questions you wish your clients asked you, but they never do. I love that. Yeah, and, super and, helpful. Yeah. And so that, that, that could be, if you're doing once a month, that's nearly two years worth of content. So. Yeah. And then, you know, when I have a master's of creative writing, so I came into this copywriting world thinking that I'd be doing creative nonfiction. So I say this because uh, one thing we talk a lot about in graduate school or if you're just doing writing workshops is what's called to kill your darlings. And that that's all those pieces of writing that you've created that you, you really like. They're really good, but they don't actually belong where they are or they're unnecessary. So Earlier in our conversation, I said, you know, look at the website, make sure it's it's con concise and succinct and it's saying what it needs to. A lot of what I see when I do website audits is people have overwritten because I think people, especially when they do it themselves, they sit down to that keyboard and they think, well, I have to explain everything, right? Like, you know, I need to tell everything. Not, I don't think they think I have to tell everything about me, but I think they feel as if, you know, this is a brand new person. Why wouldn't I just completely introduce myself? But, you know, if you go to a networking event, you don't give a five to 10 minute spiel on your on you without including someone in that conversation. Right. There's that's the beauty of the elevator pitch. You say what you do succinctly and you move on the let the communication develop on its own. So if we look at killing our darlings on our website and we want to go through with, you know, a sharp eye and say, am I being succinct? No. OK, well, let me cut this part. Right. Like maybe it's more of I always joke and say. Well, I don't joke. This is very serious. Your about page is not an autobiography. Like you don't need to tell people about what you did in third grade. Your favorite, you know, like um, traveling, while it could be a fun fact, and I love fun facts on about page, but if you write four paragraphs about how you travel and it has absolutely nothing to do with the work that you're doing, just cut it, right? Now I'm saying this, sorry, there is a point here. Because if we cut these darlings from our website pages, which really are conversion pages, they're sales-like pages to get people to book a call, to purchase our products, to buy our, our services, whatever it is. If we move them into our blog content, then all we're doing is expanding on a thought. And where I see, I do a lot of copy coaching with clients as well. 
Um, they might be clients who love to write and realize that they can get their thoughts out, but they don't have a marketing lens in which to share them. Or people who are just um, financially, they're in the stage where they need to DIY a bit. And the problem where people get paralyzed, and my now here's the thing, I've been writing forever. I first was published in 2003, and I've been published since then widely in different ways. Now, myself included, to this day, I sit down to a blank page and there's like, there's a, a paralysis analysis. It's like, well, oh gosh. And I, you know, that could be, I'm, I know people who can sit down and type up drafts very quick. For me, I think there is a perfectionism thing in that goes into it. You know, there's that blinking cursor and I'm like, oh, I have to say this perfectly. Like, you know, there's like a, a pressure. Now that's, here's someone, I have multiple degrees in writing. I have my own literary journal. I've published a book. I write a, a hundreds of thousands of words for clients and I still feel that. So what about the person who maybe isn't a great writer and they're doing this because it's their first website? Or what about the person who's a good writer, but then they have that pressure too because they want to do it well because they know the importance of this. That blank page is a lot harder for them. So if you kill a darling on, let's say, a about page, something that's unnecessary, bring that into a blog post. And let's just use that random example I shared about your love for travel. Can we relate that to anything within your industry? Um, and if so, you have three paragraphs already. Expand on those, like fill in the blanks, figure out how to take that story and compare it to something that you do. And sitting down with three paragraphs on the page, like banishes that analysis paralysis of what to say, what to do, how to be perfect. You already have the content there. You're just adding to something. And, you know, I've, I've seen clients really go from fear and confusion on what to do to all of a sudden having aha moment after aha moment because they're just kind of recycling what they've already done and it's really easy for them to do it at that point and i guess it's it's a bit like exercising you stretch that muscle and then the more you do it the more comfortable you're going to be continuing to do it yeah yeah absolutely and i i will take up with you though on, on the networking thing i have met people that have gone into a 10-minute description oh you and me both <laughs> Yeah, but how did you feel when, when you were um, being monologued to? I, I was just looking for the exit somewhere. somewhere exactly. Somewhere. So if you if you think about that, and, you know, like, honestly, whether you look at your own website or, or not, I would actually recommend to someone, if this is something you want to do, you really want to adjust your website, and you're not, like, paying, like, a copywriter to do that audit for you, before you look at your own website, Maybe pick three different people from three different industries and review their websites. Like you don't have to tell them you're doing it. Just look at their homepage, their about page, because I guarantee what you'll find is you're going to notice where they're being a little bit too gabby or if they're getting off point or you're going to notice where you feel lost as a consumer. And it's going to be that, uh, like you said, the practice, like if you practice looking at someone else's site and you can pull these um, thoughts in as a consumer. Then you go back to your own site. You're going to see those mistakes. It's going to be easier to see this yourself, you know, and with less of a, um, a shame to it, right? Because you're going to notice everyone does it. My own website is not perfect. And trust me, as a website <laughs> copywriter, there's a lot of shame when I notice something that is on my site that I'm like, I was just joking with a client yesterday. She asked me a question about something on my website because she liked it. And we went to that page and I was like, well, let's scroll past that <laughs> section. You know, but that's okay. Like this... This is real life business, right? We're right. all imperfect. Even the experts either, you know, they have that cobbler's kids syndrome or 
they they're you know imperfect and they learn from from things all over time and they continue to like better themselves that's how people get to be experts and that's how personal brands get founded and people build that like no trust factor from just you know taking the baby steps and and making the adjustments as you go you're you're absolutely i use the cobbler's children never have shoes yeah. <laughs> example all the time because the same thing a personal brand expert does not mm-hmm. is not perfect with his personal brand i can assure you so um and just actually just thinking about that from my perspective so over the years i had my business i've tended to serve different audiences and in during those times i've created content on my blog serving those audiences What's your recommendation with somebody that does have a website with a lot of content and maybe it is disparate in terms of it's not serving it, the audience that they're now looking to focus on? Oh, those are my favorite clients. You know, I feel like in some ways, those are the type of people that come to me feeling more helpless because they've done the work, right? So they've done the work. They know the time and effort and energy that went into it. And now I think that the perspective they come from is like, I wasted that time. And I would absolutely say it's not true. You've done the work already. Like it's going to be so easy to fix it. Like that, I know it's not exciting to the other person, but for me, I'm like, let's do this, right? Um, so I had a colleague who was a designer who uh, worked with many different types of um, industries, and at one point in their career, they decided to niche down to work with a specific industry, and they were worried because you know they used examples like I did today: coaches, photographers, real estate investors throughout all of their copy and content. So they thought, well, maybe I'll just make new content speaking to this one particular industry. And I was like, absolutely not. You did the work. All you have to do is go back and read and tweak as you're going. So the content itself, let, you know, let's say you're using 10 questions that never get asked of you, like you mentioned before. If you have that on your site and you, of those um, 10 questions, you give an example for maybe three or four industries. Each industry reference that you, you do change it in using this example, change it to that new industry. So if if you say photographers and then you want to change it to real real estate investors, change it. The next one you say um, coaches, change it to real estate investors. Like if it takes you two hours to write a blog post and it takes you maybe 15 minutes to review each one and then of those 15 minutes, you spend two or three minutes making those tiny changes. I mean, it just seems so much easier of an approach than starting over again and having to say things to the new clients. Mm, good suggestion. Good tip. Uh, a few questions, Erin, that I like to ask people uh, who come on the show. Um, favorite personal brand? Who, who do you like and why? I have, I, you know, honestly, this changes daily for me. I am someone who is just... Um, kind of like to describe myself as like a kindergartner with too much candy because I'm excitable and I love people. Um, so I'm always admiring what other people are doing with their brands. But uh, someone who I've been paying attention to lately, who I really adore as a business owner um, and has really branded themselves well, is Liz Wilcox. Mm. Uh, she has a group called Email Marketing Membership for small I'm, business I'm a member. owners. Oh, me too. And I had Liz on the show just recently. It hasn't come out yet, but uh, she was on a few a few weeks ago, I interviewed her for the show. So. Yeah, she's going to be on my show next month, actually. But what I love about her is she's she's done um, what is hard. So I'm not saying this easy, meaning her effort has been easy. But she has taken personal branding, which can be an overwhelming and complicated thing, and she's given ease to it, right? So 
Um, when we talked, she had asked me the question, we were talking about welcome sequences and she's like, well, what's one thing that makes you stand out? And I wanted to argue with her and be like, well, it wasn't, it wasn't makes me stand out. Like, um, one thing particular to me. So I told her I loved ice cream and pretzel bread. Right. But then I wanted to say, but I also, and I also, and I also, but what Liz did is she looked at this one teeny tiny facet of her life that she loves the nineties and she just went all in on it. Now I can tell you, she is, a very like multifaceted human. So I'm sure she likes more than just the 90s. But it was just something that worked well for her to bring the ease into personal branding. And I think whether you if if you know her, you can automatically like call up what her brand looks like, call up the way that she speaks online and the message that she shares. And if you don't know her, let's say you're listening to this right now and you go off and Google her, you're going to immediately see that there is a brand um, I don't know if recognition is the right word, but a brand there. So yeah, I, I think I really like her and I love that she's making email marketing very accessible to the smaller guys, like the tinier businesses that don't have, um, it's not even financial um, ability. You know, I'm just trying to compare, like I've done a lot of work with big brands. So the marketing budget on a Fortune 100 brand is a lot different than my marketing budget, right? right. So for me, I love when I see people that are taking something that is seems in, in unaccessible and making it super accessible for a wide range of people. And I think Liz is really doing that. I, I totally agree. I think she, um, you know, it's that, it's that blinking cursor again, isn't it? It's, mm -hmm. She's helping people overcome that, or at least start to think about uh, content. Yeah, agreed. Um, what about a favorite business book or podcast? Okay, a uh, podcast. I will say my favorite is Angie Trueblood's Go Pitch Yourself. Uh, oh. She is a podcast, uh, I, I don't know if I would say podcast guesting professional, but she talks all about visibility and how to get yourself out there and get to be on podcast. And um, I, I actually really love Angie. Like, I think when I like people, I decide I want to make them my friend, like, and stop that sentence. They will be my friend. And that's kind of how I felt about both Angie and Liz, actually. Um, when I started listening to her show, I just really like that she shows up as a very authentic person. You know, like she has a personality. It is not, it's not nineties. Like it's not big and bold. It's just, she is who she is. And she has really excellent, um, helpful tips. So every episode that she has interview or solo you're going to listen to it and get a great takeaway from it so definitely go listen and go pitch yourself if you haven't okay i'm i'm adding that to my list so great and, and what about a, a current tool or resource that you're enjoying using yeah i have adhd so um and i'm also a virgo so there's this weird uh sandstorm in my head of wanting desperately to be organized but not necessarily knowing how to be organized so for me i would say um i really love project management tools um i was using asana pretty regularly and i liked it i was really put off by the um the learning curve with ClickUp, but i am very slowly transitioning from Asana to ClickUp. So I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm not 100% behind ClickUp because I don't feel as intelligent as I want to feel within the walls of ClickUp. But I'm really loving that there are things that I would have had to pay for in Asana that are just built into the free version of ClickUp. It is very dynamic. And, you know, I said something about like baby steps before. I think if you are looking for a new project management tool and you truly don't try to create everything at once within ClickUp, you just take the baby steps of maybe just having a marketing folder 
And then after that, doing like a client folder, whatever it is for your own needs. It's been really cool to get things out of my head and get them organized. And as someone with ADHD, once it's organized, once the system's there, oh boy, you can't stop me. But if it's in my head and it's just swirling around, then man, am I having a great conversation with myself. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan of Basecamp. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Basecamp, the biggest selling point for me is the search function. It, mm -hmm. it just blows me away. Yeah, it's been a while since I used it. I, I mean, I've used it with clients, but probably almost 10 years ago or eight years ago when it was really like, I think it was new at the time and it is a very dynamic system. Yeah, and the, the interesting thing with that company is they used to have a CRM, they used to have something, a messaging system, and, and they just dropped all those and just focused on what they were good at. Like yeah, their, that's great. Lane. So. As we should, among all of us, right? You know, everyone's trying to... I am someone who definitely is multifaceted and, you know, ADHD. I want to do everything. But like, boy, do I do a much better job staying in my own lane and doing what I'm good at. I'll tell you that because <laughs> you try to spread yourself too thin. Like we're only good at so many things here, people. And we could be good at them or we could be great at one specific thing. Right. And do you have a favorite quote that uh, motivates you or inspires you? Yeah, I don't know if it's so much inspirational, but it's something that I just I really believe. And I think that for the, it's true for myself and for most people. Um, it's from August, Augustine Burroughs, who is an author. And uh, it is, I am, I myself am made entirely of flaws stitched together with good intentions. Um, I think the best way I can describe how I, why I'm saying I think that's great for everyone is I like to really believe that. Um, while personal branding is so important because it allows us to show up as our true self, there we shouldn't show up fakely, right? Like right. I think a lot of, unfortunately, uh, the messages in the online business world is to like have a persona. So instead of our personal brand, it's like you create this version of yourself that's fancy. And I, that is not me. And I just think if people really showed up as that flawed human and showed up and like I said, you know, here's where I'm great at these things. And well, now I have ADHD and boy, is my mind a wild place, right? Like th those are pros and cons and good things and bad things. But it's actually, let me re rephrase that. It is not good things and bad things. That's just me as a person. And I can actually have strengths from my ADD and and negatives from um, me showing up as like a content creator. Like it's it, if we just show up as we are, as authentic as we can be, we're going to gain trust from our future clients, our our, our colleagues, networking, anything. It's just going to be so much easier for us to, you know, just be ourselves and live within our own values and authenticity. I think you make a really good point. And I, I know a lot of people that have told you never to mention that you had ADHD. Yeah. Oh, me too. Yeah. yeah. Fake, it, fake it till you make it. Sorry, you know, guys. <laughs> But, you know, in honesty, I, I mentioned that's why I refrained from saying good or bad, because I don't really believe that, you know, things can be good or bad like that. It is just a medical part of my body, right? Like this is my mm -hmm. neurons firing in the ways that they do. But I mention it because, you know, I say to my clients, even on my website and my VIP day page, I say I have certain superhero skills that other people do not have. Uh, and one of those comes directly from ADHD. If I want to, we're going to. Definitely underline that word here. If I want to, I can hyper-focus and the amount of things I can create or write or ideate in a 
very tiny period of time is what would be like 10 people sitting down in a boardroom for days, right? And, and I'm not saying that to show off. That's just, that's because I can hyper-focus. On the flip side of that, there are days and times where I have such brain fog that I feel I feel frustrated, like I can't get a thought out. So I, you know, I'm I'm not a spring chicken here. Like I've grown as an adult and learned to how to balance those things and how to maybe turn them on if possible when I need to and even that out so it's not such ends of the spectrum. But, you know, while you're right, people would have said like, oh, don't talk about that. That's not something you'd say in the business world. You don't look professional. Well, guess what? It makes me a lot more professional than you, buddy, when I'm able to <laughs> hyper focus and get things done really, really well and really quickly. So, you know, it, I am who I am. And I think that my clients and my professional colleagues love that about me. And I think that everyone has that ability to show up like that. And, you know, the more authentic you can be, the more fun you'll have, the more enjoyable this will be. And, you know, bringing it back to personal branding, the more people will relate to you and want to work with you. Right. Total, totally agree. 100%. So, Erin, how can people find out more about you and, and, and your services? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, you're listening to a podcast right now. So the easiest way to learn more about me or spend more time with me is to just click on over after this episode and listen to the Talk Copy to Me podcast. It is a marketing and copywriting podcast for small business owners um, who want to learn about marketing because they are DIYing or they're just hiring it out and want to know what's happening behind the scenes. Um, and then besides that, you can find me pretty much everywhere at Erin Olilla and my website's erinolilla.com. Speaking about SEO, Google has recognized me enough now that you can spell my last name any way you'd like to spell my last name <laughs> and it will find its way over to my website. Well, there can't be many of you. So that's, that's, <laughs> no, that's a big there benefit. There are not. Yeah. Agreed. Wonderful. We'll make sure all of that is in the show notes. And Erin, uh, thank you for sharing your insights today. Uh, I think people will have found that extremely helpful and, and maybe taken away the fear of uh, websites and SEO and, and everything else. So uh, thank you for that and have yourself a brandtastic day. You too, Paul. Thanks so much for having me. That was great.